This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Do that, And I want to welcome you to New Life today. If you're brand new, my name is Kevin. I'm one of our pastors here, and I'm going to guide us through the rest of our time together. This is a big week for our church. Uh, we've got the Global Leadership Summit coming up that we're, uh, we're hosting. We're a host site this Thursday and Friday. Yeah, I know. I'm overwhelmed with emotion, too. Um, here's another big week. It is the beginning of preseason for the NFL, which is very exciting uh, for many of us. Uh, but it's actually sad for me. Uh, here's why it's sad for me. My, my Chicago Bears have had a nine-month unbeaten streak, and I'm nervous that it might end on Thursday night when they play the Broncos. So uh, I'm working through some feelings here. Um, if you're a praying person, join me in prayer. God can do miracles not just on Sundays, but on Thursday night as well. So uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. It's just a, it's a fun, woo, spicy. It's going to be a fun week this week. Hey, we are in this series uh, called Let Us. And as we jump in, I want you to go ahead and grab out of your program, your teaching notes. Uh, they'll give you the story we're looking at today uh, from the very beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis. I want you to grab this Start Here card. Uh, it will give you really an opportunity to let us partner with you, to let us pray for you, uh, serve you as a pastoral team. If you want to get plugged into the things we're doing in this church and in the city, these are opportunities to get plugged in at the top. Uh, later on in the service, we'll be passing some baskets, and you can just drop this into the basket when it's come. But this is really a tool for you so that we can help partner with you uh, in anything that you have going on in your life. And we're in a series all about, about work and about rest because I stumbled upon an interesting and scary realization that seven out of 10 Americans do not like what they do for work. Think about that. Seven out of 10. Welcome back from New Zealand. Good to see you. Sorry. Welcome back. A team of college students within our varsity went to New Zealand for the summer and apparently they're back and just good to have you guys back. So yes, right back at you. Good to see you. And I'm so happy that Emily's back because she laughs at all my jokes. So no pressure, but I could use a little help today. That'd be great. It's been quiet without you here, Emily. So good to have you back. Um, Seven out of 10 Americans, sorry, I'm back. Seven out of 10 Americans are disengaged with work. They don't like it. They don't like what they do. And that is across the spectrum. It's not just one career. People just find that they don't have a high engagement with work. It is across the career spectrum, which has us, should have us asking the question, what's going on there? Why do we work? I mean, that's the question that I've been asking. What is the purpose of work? Why do we, why do we invest our lives in this thing called a career? Some of us might say it's for money. You know, we do it so that we can make money. And that leads us to the question, well, how much money would be enough money? And I already know the answer to that question for you, because I'm that good. How much money is enough money for you? More money than you currently have. That's how much money is enough money for you. Here's how I know. Because when you got an allowance of $10 a week, that felt like a lot of money. But you thought, if I could just get $20 a week, then I'd be set. Then you got out of high school or out of college, and you got a job that was $10 an hour. You thought, if I could just make $12 an hour, then I'd be set. And now you are a thousandaire. Most of us in here are thousandaires. <laughs> and we still want just a little more. So... It would make sense that if, if we work for money, then we would be dissatisfied with work because we're not making enough money. Maybe it is prestige. You know, we, we work so that we can have people think that we're great because we have achieved success. The problem with that is there's always someone who's just a little more successful. 
who's got a little more influence, who's got a little more insight, who's a little bit better leader, a little better educator, who's moving up the ladder a little faster. And so if we're working for prestige, it would make sense that we are dissatisfied with work because there's always someone just a little better. So then I thought, well, maybe we work for security so that we can provide for our families. Well, that makes sense, except that we live in Sonoma County. So, like, (laughs) it's hard to provide for your family in Sonoma County. If that was the case, then everyone in, like, Iowa would be happy because they all have enough money to provide. My wife is one of nine. She grew up in a town in Illinois, and she's one of nine kids. And mom stayed at home with the kids, and dad was an AM radio broadcaster. People asked me, how did they survive? I said, they lived in Illinois. That's how they survived. But there's a trade-off because here, like, in my opinion, this cloudy weather is like, oh my gosh, this horrible weather. But in Illinois, that's like a beautiful day tank top weather. So you have to decide where are you going to live? We've chosen Sonoma County, which means it's hard for us to provide comfortably oftentimes. So if money is going to leave us wanting— if security is always a question, if prestige, there's always someone just a little bit further up the ladder than us, then it would make sense that seven out of 10 of us feel dissatisfied with work, which should have us asking a different question. If it's not those things, then where does satisfaction come? Where does fulfillment come in? How how can I find purpose in this thing that I am investing my life in. Because let's be honest, you are investing your life in your work. 30 years, 40 years of our lives here. So we started asking a different question last week, and we will continue it this week. And we did it by talking about a paradigm shift. If you were here last week, I'm going to give us a little catch-up. And if you're brand new, I would really strongly suggest you go back and listen to last week because it lays the foundation for everything we're talking about. But as Jesus followers, we actually, according to the Bible, which you're here at church, and so we're going to look at the Bible. I just want to give you a heads up to kind of get you ready for that. According to the Bible, Emily, it's so good to have you back. It's just lovely. According to the very beginning of the Bible, a story of origins, a story about God and creation, A story that was designed to tell people what God is like and what it looks like to walk with God in life. According to the very beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis, there is a different reason why we work. Now, to give you some backstory here, the guy who wrote the book of Genesis wrote to a whole nation of people who were in exile out of slavery. They had been slaves for 400 years, generation after generation after generation of slavery under Egypt. And the Egyptians had a multitude, a pantheon of lowercase g gods and goddesses. We would call them idols today. There were over 1,200 gods and goddesses that they worshipped. And over the course of this slavery, the Jewish people were somewhat indoctrinated with these various gods and goddesses. And so when a guy named Moses endeavored to tell the people what God is like, he started at the beginning. And he contrasted the gods and goddesses of the ancient world with the one true God. We called him the OG, the original God, the creator God of the heavens and the earth. And he tells this story in Genesis about a God, one God, not many gods, because the Egyptians had many gods, a sun God, a moon God. Did you know that they had a God of beer? Yeah, they did. Barley, a barley God, the hops God. 
They were the most fun gods at the parties. Um, <laughs> Tell about nine o'clock. Then they just went to sleep. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You just betrayed yourself. And Moses tells this story of one God who created everything. It says that God created the world from top to bottom. And God took chaos and nothingness and a vast array of dark. And God brought light. And God brought order. And God brought beauty. And then at the apex of God's creative work, God said this, let us, let us make man in our image. And then the author goes on to help us remember what God did by telling us the same thing three times. He says, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God made man in his image. And so we talked last week about the reality that right after God creates man and woman, he gives them a job to do. And their job is to, well, we're going to get into that today. But what he does is he gives them a job title. He says, you are going to be image bearers of me. I love that, that Maria, uh, one, remembered anything I had to say. That is just lovely and feels very good as a, her husband. That just feels nice. That My wife was like, hey, remember that awesome thing my husband said? Come on. Don't we need to hear that more often from our spouses, husbands and wives? Like, hey, remember that awesome, intelligent thing you said? That was really brilliant. I'm telling you, that scores points. Way to go, Mo. But I love that she actually, she actually used this, that God being the light is inside the people. Because in the ancient world, in the Egyptian world, in every single one of these gods and goddesses areas of worship, there was an image or an idol or a statue that showed the world what that God was like. And then the God of the Bible comes along and he creates the world and he doesn't have, he doesn't have a temple that he dwells in. Because God created the whole world. And God dwells over the whole world. And so rather than having one temple where God put one statue, what God chose to do was create man and women in his image. And that word image literally means statue. And so you and I, we said this last week, are image bearers of God. We are the visible representation to the world of an invisible God. I don't know about you, but for me last week, that was like, that was mind-blowing. And that part of our image-bearing reality is that the other gods in the ancient world, they created people as slave labor. But our God created us as partners with him in the creative process. And that work is about partnering with God as image-bearers to show the world what God is like. And I asked us last week, how might work change? How might fulfillment change in our jobs if we believed that our primary job title was not president, CEO, mid-level manager, highway patrol officer, educator, janitor, but our job title was image-bearer of God. So that everywhere we went and every job we got into, right there, we were reflecting the image of God. And I was hoping just to zoom out and reframe a little bit. But this week, what I want to do is I actually want to zoom in. Last week, we zoomed out. This week, I want to zoom in. Because in this creation story in Genesis, there are actually two different stories. If you've read Genesis 1 through 3, it's kind of interesting. You read this creation story, and then all of a sudden, it ends 
And then the next verse, it starts again. But it's almost like a different story. And if you've read through Genesis chapters 1 through 3, you probably thought to yourself, why are there two different creation stories happening? And there actually aren't two different creation stories happening. There is one creation story from two different perspectives. Last week, we looked at the 30,000 view creation story. God created the world. God created the sun, the moon, the stars, the shrubs, the creepy crawly things, and God made people. This week, in the second creation story, starting in Genesis chapter 2, God zooms in and he talks about specifically creation and the creative process with human beings. So last week we talked about our job title. This week God actually gives us a job description. And we're going to pick it up in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. It says this is, and this is the second story. This is the zoomed in story. It says this is the account of the heavens. It's not in your notes, but it's up here. So just take my word for it and fact check me at home that this is what verse 4 says. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Verse 5 says this, now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth. No plant had yet sprung up because the Lord God had not yet sent rain on the earth. And there was no one there to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And it goes on for a few more verses to talk about what's happening here. And we're going to skip down to verse 15. And this is where we get our job description. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to do two things, to work it and to take care of it. And a few verses later, we find out that God created a woman there, and they were in partnership, equal partnership, man and woman, not man and woman, not woman and man, man and woman in equal partnership. And I can just picture the first time the woman rolled her eyes at the man because they got out there and they're, they're doing their thing. And the man's like, work it, girl, work it. And she looks at him incredulous. And he says, it's biblical. God said, work it. So you got to work it. And right now you're thinking, who says that? And I will tell you, I say stuff like that to my wife all the time. This is how I know the woman rolled her eyes. Because this is all I get when I make amazing jokes like that. Is the woman rolling her eyes. But maybe you get home today and you just say to your husband, you work it, boy. Because it's biblical. You can say it. Remember, I'm just telling you just telling you. And then tomorrow morning when you wake up, you say to your husband, go make me coffee, man. And your husband says, why? You say, it's biblical. He says, why? You say, there's a book of the Bible called Hebrews. <laughs> Hebrews. You work it, boy. Oh, Lord. There's this comedian that's going to be at the Global Leadership Summit called Michael Jr. I like to channel him and I haven't even heard him yet. Just wait till next Sunday. So again, last week we zoomed out. This week we're zooming in. We're zooming in. And we're looking at job description because God gives the people two very specific and intentional commands. Did you pick them up? They're bold in your notes, so I hope you did. Work it and take care of it. That first phrase, work it, is the Hebrew abad, which can be translated develop it or create it, do service in it or have worship. So God puts these people in a garden. And when you and I think garden, we think like raised flower beds, right? It wasn't like that. The garden is called Eden. 
The word Eden means delight. So something we know about this garden is it's a delightful place to work. But that does not mean that it was a tame place to work. It was more like untapped wilderness. I remember uh, on the first time Maria and I led a missions trip, we went to Costa Rica together. We were engaged, and uh, we led this team of college students to Costa Rica. And we were told when we got there, okay, part of your team is going to backpack six or seven miles into the rainforest, into the jungle, to take food and medical supplies to a little village of people where no cars can get there. The only way they get outside support is helicopter drops that come once a year. So we were taking a doctor and we were taking some medical supplies and some food in these backpacks. And so I said, well, I'll go. This will be a great experience. And so we start hiking up and they're making us wear these huge rubber boots that we had to like buy from Target or they're not hiking boots. They're like big rubber galoshes type boots. And I said to our guide, why are we wearing these boots? And the guide said, well, there's this snake out here called the Matawe or the Bushmaster. And if you get bit by a Bushmaster snake this far away from civilization, you will die. There is no coming back from this. We can wrap it. We can cut it off. You will die. So don't get bit by a Bushmaster is what they said, but they can't strike very high. So in theory, the boots were supposed to protect us from the Bushmaster. Well, that's something in this untamed wilderness that I did not, I just kept that to myself. I did not share that with the team. I just said, stay on the path. And then we get to this river. We couldn't go over it. We couldn't go around it. So we had to go through it. But the river was so high. I'm not joking. It was up to here on me. So we had to form a human chain so that the shorter people on our team could walk in front of us so that they would not get swept down river. And they've got backpacks on their heads and we're hiking across and we finally get up and drop off our, our stuff. And we, we work with the people and then we have to hike all the way back. And it was one of the most exhilarating experiences of my life. I loved it. It was a delight, but it was not tame. And this garden that they're living in is not raised flower beds and park benches. This is an untapped, untamed wilderness. And their job is to develop, to create, to tame, to bring into order that which was before that in some level of chaos. Because work is ultimately about creating, developing something out of nothing. See, when we go to work, sometimes we have a, a very narrow view of what work actually is. But I would suggest that God says that work is all about developing, creating, dreaming. I would suggest that when we are developing, we are working. My little man Landon is six years old. And so yesterday he said to me, I want to learn how to ride a skateboard, which is fantastic. So we took out a couple skateboards and we were riding around at the school. And you know what I realized in that moment? I was not doing my vocation. I was not getting paid for this. In fact, I spend money to do this. But in that moment, I was helping my son learn a new skill. We were developing something in that moment. In a biblical sense, I was working with my child. And I don't know about you, but when we look at it that way, when we work, look at our children and we help them learn a new skill or try something new, doesn't that bring some level of fulfillment? As he was starting to get it, as he crashed and scraped his arms and he's crying and we're hugging and we're talking about it and we're, we're just, we're learning something new together. See, this is work. Work is about developing. Con construction. Construction is not just building a house. Construction is taking rock and sand and wood 
in a flat plot of earth and creating something where there once was nothing. See, work is about the developmental process. I think about pharmacists. Pharmacists take various ingredients and they pull those together to make drugs that help people. They are developing. They're creating. Think about my people who are young living essential oils people. Tap some oil from a tree, from a little bush. And cre- I'm not making, I'm not laughing. I'm being serious. And cre- so don't write me. <laughs> Think about this. Taking extracts from a plant in order to create remedies to, to heal. See, that's what work at a biblical level is. It is developing I think about musicians. Musicians take notes and tones and sound and they put instruments together and they create something beautiful. That's work. That's work. One of my favorite bands right now is a band called Miss Moonshine. One of the things I like, yeah, I know. Yeah. Thank you for cheering for me. I also like them. Um, Oh, that's right. Cody is here, as is Zach, and maybe some other members, uh, yep, of Miss Moonshine are here. One of the things I love about Miss Moonshine is they take a ton of, yes, there's a drummer back there from Miss Moonshine. They take a, a multitude of instruments that, in my mind, because I'm not a musical guy, seem completely disconnected. And they create something beautiful out of it. It's absolutely amazing. See, God, God looks at our, at our vocation. And he would have us ask this question, I believe. What part of my current job involves joining God in the deve- developmental process of helping people thrive and flourish? See, to the extent that we can answer that question about that thing we go and do from 8.30 to 5 o'clock, to the extent that we can answer the question, what part of this job that I'm doing is partnering with God in a developmental process to help people flourish. Maybe we find a little bit of delight in our work. I love the way one pastor put it. He said, work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular to thrive. I think that's great. That's what I look for in my work. My, My work is not just writing sermons every week. Uh, it's not just, you know, coming to this great place and working with amazing people. My, my job, the way I understand it, is my job is to inspire and create safe spaces for people to form healthy relationships with God, each other, and the world. And to the extent that I can zoom out about my job and not think, what's the sermon I have to write? What are the emails I have to respond to? But to the extent that I can think to myself, what are the spaces that I can create for people to form healthy relationships with God, with each other, and with the world, I find beauty. But there's another translation of that word abad, and it was at the end of our notes. It's the word worship, which is interesting, isn't it? That the same word for work is used for worship over 50 times in the Old Testament. And usually when we think about worship, we think about three or four songs that we sing on a Sunday morning. But what is that, like a half hour, maybe? 25 minutes? But maybe... Like me, you like to sing in the car, sing in the shower. So let's add a half hour a day of worship, of singing worship. If you sang worship for a half hour a day, that puts you at roughly four hours a week. 
compare that with the 40 to 50 hours a week that you go to your job. And let the implications of this word sink in. The same word for develop is used for worship. So the question becomes, could I experience work, this creative developing process, as actually worship to God? Because in my work, I am reflecting the image of my creator. Here's another question, maybe just to think about this week. How might my perspective change about work if I believed at my core that work is about worshiping God, both with what I do and with how I do it? One of the cool things about my job is I get to come very early on Sunday mornings and listen to the worship team get ready. And one of the realities that I have as I sit and listen to them is that the way that they get ready to lead us in worship is as important as the songs we sing on Sunday morning, that they are both acts of worship to God. But in the same way, the way that we prepare to go to our work every day, the attitude with which we come in, the way with which we look to increase the thriving of those around us is an act of worship. And we've heard it said before, God doesn't just want three or four songs, doesn't want a half hour a week of worship. He wants a lifestyle of worship. But, but I wonder what it, would, what it would do if we actually believed that as we work each week, we are worshiping God with the things that we do. The second phrase I want to look at is the phrase, take care of it, which in Hebrew is shamar, which can be translated as watch over, protect, or guard. So you and I are called to take this raw, uncut potential in the world, whether it's human potential or animal potential or mineral potential, and develop it. But it's really important as Jesus followers how we do it. Not just that we do it, but how we do it. See, God invites us actually to develop the world in a way that cares for the world, that watches out for the world. People first, and animals, and the land second. People first because people are made in the image of God. We are the kind of the apex of God's creation. But God created the whole world and saw that the whole world was good. So how we develop is as important as the fact that we develop. So maybe you want to ask this question this week. What part of my work protects people and protects the world? If you're a barista, are you working at a coffee shop that serves fair trade coffee? Are you protecting As we go out shopping each week, are are we looking at the the buying practices of the places where we buy from? See, that's part of our work. And it takes work, doesn't it? It's a lot easier to turn a blind eye and to not look at what's going on in the world and how we get the things that we get. But I wonder if part of our job is to to look around. If you're an educator, educators, you go back to, to work this week, don't you? I'm so sorry. Uh, I was talking to my buddy who is a high school counselor. This is what happens when you're in life group with me. Stories come up. And he was telling our group, he was like, I, I got to go back to work tomorrow. And I said to him, yeah, I got to go back to work tomorrow too. <laughs> but I really feel bad for you. Um, but he went back and he made it. Praise God. I prayed hard for you. But if you're in education, this is, I'm sorry, buddy. Um, don't hate me. Don't leave the church. It was hilarious though in our life group when I said it. 
He's sitting over there. I'm just misdirecting you right now. But if you're in education, do you stop to ask this question? How am I creating a safe place for the students to come? For all the students to come? Not just the popular ones. Um, If you are a business owner, the bottom line that we look at as business owners, because it's funny, I'm actually the CEO of this organization, which is kind of odd to think about, but I am. As business owners, our bottom line isn't ultimately how much money we can bring in. Our bottom line is how are we caring for our employees to meet the mission that we have to improve the world. So what part of our work is actually protecting people first and the rest of the world? To the extent that we can answer that question, our work becomes worship. Now, not every job does this. Why? Because in in Genesis, we see that there is a split between humans and God. And in that split, work got perverted. It just did. And so not all work creates human flourishing. And you might be in an organization and you're not the head of the organization. And you think, well, how can I promote human flourishing in a place where my boss doesn't? I want to tell you something. It's really interesting. It's from that guy, Paul, that Maria quoted earlier from 1 Corinthians, this letter he writes to a church in Corinth. And he's talking about his job, but it can be translated into our jobs as well. Here's what he says. He says, we are co-workers in God's service. Co-workers. And you are God's field. You are God's building. That word co-workers means we are partners with God in God's service. So you get to your organization and maybe they're not promoting human flourishing and you have to ask this question, how can I change something if I'm not in charge of it? Here's the crazy thing. While you might not be the head of the organization, you are in partnership with God. You're his partner to make a change for good everywhere you can. You know the difference between an an employee and a partner? An employee, and I see this all the time at our church, and it's just kind of my litmus test. I don't tell people all the time. I can tell if someone has an employee mindset or a consumer mindset when they walk into church, whether it's staff or you, or whether they feel like they have ownership in the church or partnership by this one simple test. An employee walks by a piece of trash and says, someone ought to pick that piece of trash up. An owner walks by a piece of trash and picks a piece of trash up. Ownership. Ownership. And God says to us, you are actually my partners in every single environment with which you dwell, including your vocation. So we see something that is not promoting flourishing, and we simply ask God, God, what is my part in partnership with you to promote flourishing right where I sit? Students, we go back to school in a few weeks. You see someone being bullied. It'd be easy to think, well, I'm not the teacher. I'm not the principal. But you're a partner with God. So what's it look like to be in partnership with God? To care for someone who's being bullied? I believe that youth groups in the church should be the safest place for students to engage the safest place. What's it look like to come to youth group on Sunday night? I love a life. I love our student ministries. I love what we're doing. What's it look like to come to a life as a student, as a volunteer, and look for the person by themselves 
and not say, well, I'm not the leader. Listen, Jake is one person with a ton of people around. He's way more than 20 to 1 right now. He needs some help. What's it look like to say, I'm God's partner in bringing you in? How about this, stay-at-home parents? Come on, how many of us feel like right now, at the end of summer, the inmates are running the asylum? <laughs> Let's just be honest about it. Let's just be honest. It's like, please, God, get him back to school. Sweet Lord Jesus, come now. What would it look like in our parenting, which is our vocation? It is a holy vocation. What would it look like to say to God, God, I want to partner with you to lead my family to change? Right now, some of us are thinking, I have no idea how to do that. Well, don't worry. There's a parenting seminar coming up. Not at our church. Not at our church. But I think I put it in your notes, didn't I? Because I love you. It's a parenting seminar to help us create a culture of safety and belonging as we lead our families. This, honestly, we get nothing for this. I, they're not giving me any kickback that I know of, unless we go viral. But what if we ask God, God, show me how to partner with you, and then, and then took some steps. This week, I want to invite us, take some time to ask some questions. God, how is my work developing and creating flourishing? God, how is my work, my attitude, the way which I come to it, an act of worship to you? God, how can I partner with you to make things better? I want to give a little note to retired folks because we get into a series on work and I think friends who are retired think, well, this isn't, what do you want me to do? I've, I've missed that window. Here's the thing. If you're still breathing, God's still working. That's the truth. There is no statute of limitations on being part of the creative process with God. You just don't get paid for it anymore. You know, it's like, sorry. But I wonder if you're retired, if this week you go home and you think, what part of, of my retirement is investing in people and creating pockets of flourishing? What part of my life right now, as I'm retired and I've I maybe got a little more time than I've had in the past, what part of my time, my life is developing and creating? If you don't know how to find a place to do that, talk to one of our pastors. We would love to invest in you, in this church, in ministry and service here, but I can also give you places outside of the church where you could serve and invest. One final note. There's a phrase for this type of work. See, Jesus came on the scene and Jesus talked about one topic more than almost any other. And he uses a phrase to describe this topic. This topic is about any pocket of the world where God's influence is manifest, where God's peace is present, where God's creative power is at work. And the phrase Jesus used to talk about this is the kingdom of God. Over and over again, he said, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. What he's talking about are the pockets of the world in which God's fragrance is clearly smelt. God's vision is being realized. Here's what I love about Sonoma County. Sonoma County is very kingdom of God work focused. I've lived in different spots in California, and I would say that Sonoma County has the biggest heartbeat for service, for care, and for doing our best to promote human flourishing. I think that's amazing, and I love that about us. Here's a really interesting statistic about Sonoma County. 
97% of people who live in Sonoma County do not have a relationship with Jesus. 97%. Which means this. And you might be one of the 97%. The 97%, there are a lot of people doing kingdom of God work, but you've never met King Jesus. You're doing good work and, and way to go. But you have not yet met the king who created you in his image with the desire to do the work that you're doing. And you've never yet been empowered by the spirit of that king to do the work in a healing, holistic way. In a way that is not just for the benefit of those you serve, but to your benefit as well. And I want to invite us today, two things. One, if you're a Jesus follower but you've never explored how your work might be kingdom of God work. This week, would you invite King Jesus into a conversation about your work and ask him how your work can become kingdom of God work? The second invitation is this. Maybe you're doing good kingdom of God work, but you do not yet know King Jesus. I want to invite you today to get to know the one who put that desire inside of you the one who causes you to think outside of yourself and beyond yourself for the thriving and flourishing of others. The reason God did that is because he wants for you your thriving and your flourishing. But ultimately, even if you're doing great work, if you're separated from the king, you are missing out on the life that God has for you. Because there are certain parts inside of you that are drawing you away from God, drawing you into pain and destruction and hurtful patterns. And God wants to heal those and bring you back into alignment with him and relationship with him. So I want to invite you to do that even right now. So I'm going to pray for those two different pieces for us this week. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, would you continue to show us as a community what it looks like to be your image in the world, to be your image in the workforce? Lord, we dream of a day when two or three Jesus followers change the entire flavor of an organization, of a company, of a neighborhood. Because that's your plan, Lord, to reveal yourself to the world is through your people. So would would you give us the courage to ask you what it looks like to engage in kingdom work in the places where we will be going tomorrow morning? And if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of King Jesus— You've never yet invited him to be the leader and the savior of your life. I want to give you space to do that today because God is inviting you into his family to be his daughter, to be his son. He wants to lead and guide every aspect of your life. If you're ready to do that, you can repeat this simple prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me and that because you love me, you gave your life for me. I want to walk in relationship with you. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you begin the process of healing me, helping me heal relationships with those whom I've hurt? Would you show me what it looks like to walk with you? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. 
You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.